This podcast is brought to you by Likeable Media. Likeable Media produces and distributes content across the social web for mid to large size brands. Visit them at likeable.com. Welcome to All the Social Ladies with CEO of Likeable Media, Carrie Kerpin. Now, Carrie Kerpin. My next guest is not one we describe as a media wallflower. Julie Rem is the chief storyteller and SVP of strategic relationships at SAP. But before that, she's had a long history building huge brands at Ford and Chrysler and a brief stint at Walmart that was a pretty public failure. I want you to take a listen to some of her stories and how social media might have played her story a little bit differently had it been around earlier. Take a listen. Welcome, Julie, to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to have you in the studio Thank today. Thank you. It's a real honor. It's nice to be in here, not outside. I know. In this rainy, it's rainy day. Today. It's a disgusting day. Mm-hmm. So tell us on this disgusting day yes. about your amazing, incredible <laughs> career. It feels amazing from my end, only that, you know, I can't imagine that it's been 20-something years since yeah. I started. I now... I'll go back, but I now go back and speak at some of my schools. So my undergrads at Purdue, but my graduate degree was from the University of Chicago. And I just recently spoke, gosh, about a month ago at, they have a big women's conference. They had 900 women in Chicago. It was fabulous. So I did the lunch keynote and I'm looking out of the sea of 900 women, all their faces. And a good fourth of them, 250 or so of them were students in the business school. So they're not teenagers, you know, they've had a couple of years in the workforce, but they're so young. Yeah, they're and, still and, early in their career. And I, and as I'm talking and giving examples, I was just shocked thinking that they didn't understand or didn't personally recollect some of the examples that I was giving because they are a solid 20 years younger than yeah. I am. And that I graduated over 20 years ago from business school. So yeah. when you talk about sort of amazing career, it, it's only amazing that I'm still here in it. And it's, I'm, you know, always you, when you go through, you're like, oh, I'm one of the young ones in it. And suddenly you wake up and you're like, what happened? What happened? And it's amazing because when you're in it, it feels also kind of still new. Like right. it's all, and then somebody looks at you and says, oh my God, Julie, you're you here. And like, look at this story. Like we're talking about. Right. Right. I'm not one of those people. Amazing. So I want it. I want the whole story. Okay. 20 years plus. So, yeah. okay. So 20 years plus. So I'll, I'll, I'll ratchet back a little bit. I went to this all girls, private Catholic high school. So very college prep, you know, very focused on getting lots of math, lots of science, lots of English, really ready. And then you apply to schools. And I was like, I have no idea. I was not one of those people. And now my son is applying to schools and he's much more focused and oriented than I ever was. And I keep reminding him, I'm like, you don't have to know. I didn't Mm. know. 
I ended up choosing engineering because I was very good in math and science and I had really good grades in them. And the counselor said, go do that. And I'm right. like, okay, I'll go do that. So I applied to some of the best schools that, you know, when you read it, you had to buy the books. There was no online to do research, of right? Of course. You bought those old fashioned books and you flipped yes, through. Exactly. The textbook <laughs> buying process. Right. Like they know nothing about that. Right. When you talk about that yeah. whole process of buying the textbooks. <laughs> right. Unbelievable. And visiting schools, forget about no it. No way. Like, you just apply. Yep. When you got in, That's I it. pick one, you show up. But That's it. That was You're my there. Visit. Here we right. are. Welcome. <laughs> so I chose Purdue, a good engineering school, went Great. to Purdue. You go through your freshman course and the freshman engineering course, this was, again, this was plus 20 years ago. This was, you know, I, I graduated from high school in 88. So this is, I'm, I'm there and they sit you down in that big auditorium with like a thousand people. And you know, it's the whole story. Look right, look left. One of you won't be here type mm-hmm. of thing. You yes. know, it's the whole, yes, you know, yes, yes. got through that actually pretty well. So my, my high school did prepare me quite well. And so I got through the freshman, you know, weed out pretty well. Yep. But in engineering there, they want you then to decide what kind of engineer you want to be. So I wasn't even sure I wanted to be an engineer. Right. Now you I just choose. like math and science. Right. And all of a sudden you're in this engineering program. You're like, okay, what do I do? Now pick one. And I'm okay. like, what? Yep. So um, I ended up choosing civil engineering because there were eight different disciplines inside of civil engineering. Oh, so it gave you the variety. So I was like, it. well, if I don't know, this is the best place you to not know. You could still not commit. Because right. I could be a structural engineer, environmental right. engineer, right. Or geotech, whatever. Yep. Okay, so did that. Um, I ended up having strong enough grades where I could be part of their co-op program, which meant that I could go and work every other semester. It made my four-year undergrad a five-year program instead, but you got two years plus of valuable work experience. So did that, worked for Bristol-Myers Squibb. It's actually where I met my husband um, on my first co-op. Went through it. I liked working for Bristol-Myers. I did well. I was an environmental major um, with a structural minor. And by the time I finished my fifth co-op assignment, It became clear, oh, I'm back at that point again. Now I have to figure out what I'm going to do next. You like I'm back at again. And so do I want to be an engineer? Do I want to work for this company, Bristol Myers, that I've been working for? Do I want to do something else? And I decided, you know what, Bristol Myers probably wasn't for me, but I had gained so much knowledge that from the work experience that I knew I also didn't want to be an engineer. <laughs> so I was really, I mean, I, I had done really well. It's not that the engineering wasn't, it's difficult, but I did well. I just didn't love it. You were good at it, I just but didn't you love didn't it. love it. No, I just couldn't get excited about it. So how did you go I love finding business. what you loved? So the business, so the nice piece about that work experience is yeah. that I was in the engineering capacity, but you would sit on team meetings, as you can imagine, and there would be people from all different disciplines. And so I was able to see what it was like, even though it wasn't me doing it, to be on the business or the marketing side or the sales side or the, mm. you know, all different phases. You were exposed to it and it so it, something. And that's what it did. So I applied to business schools and got into the University of Chicago. And I um, I went right from undergrad. And I say that very few business schools will take you right from undergrad. Yeah. But I was able to sort of parlay my two and a half years plus experience as a co-op into, you know, real work experience where some people would graduate and do it. I just sold myself as having done it while I was going to undergrad. Of course. Well, you had the co-ops. That's the thing about schools that have co-op programs is it gives you such real life experience. It's and, almost like you're doing both at yeah, the same time. And if you, I think in the graduate schools, if they feel like it was valuable and I mean, they have to make the assessment, but anyway, right. I was lucky enough to get into one of the, you know, world's best business programs. So I'm a big fan of the Chicago business school. Amazing. Um, booth now it used to be called, this is what happens when you're old. They change names because ah. somebody endows a whole bunch of money. Amazing. So it's now called the booth, uh, business the booth. Um, and uh, I went in there knowing that work experience, again, was going to be my shortfall. I was like, okay, let me take a bunch of courses. But you know what? I'm going to take a lot of finance courses because I'm really good at math and science, yeah. right? So, hey, yeah. let's just do that. 
took my first finance course, I was like, I hate this. I hate this. <laughs> I hate it. So what did you hate about every, it? I hated the, I found it dry yeah. and boring. Yeah. And then they would, you were doing like the um, theory of the stock market. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's just like, you know, for an engineer where it's, if you're off a half inch, right. the bridge falls down. Right. Right. People right, right, die. Right. right. It's and a the precise, stock market is not, accurate, yes. you know, Got it. this whole like willy nilly, let's throw money about and play. No. I was like, this yeah. is, no. this is hocus pocus. Not We're real. stepping out. I love no it. Way. So I love it. I jumped away from that okay. and I started to take strategy courses and marketing courses and negotiations courses. And I ended up with a concentration in those three things, strategy, negotiations, and marketing. Mm. Not just because you end up with it. It's not like it's a real plan. You just start to veer towards classes. Well, it sounds like you looked for what excited you and what you loved. That was, and you know, for me, that was sort of the point, right? What you go to school, especially when you don't know to try to explore as much as you can and figure out what, what excites you. So did that, and I to my earlier point about not having as much work experience as some of my peers yep. in business school, they offered a program called New Product Lab, which was a two-quarter course instead of a one-quarter course, mm. but they basically grouped you with a team. And so I had a team of, I think, six others. There were seven of us. And the smart thing that Chicago did is, is they, they go out. I think they still have the program. They go out, and they find companies who want to have a group of MBA students yes. working for yes. them for six months, yes. right? Yes, so that's what I did. I was on the team, the American Airlines team, wow. happened to be the team I was on. And so I did six month work projects, part of this group, which was also you know, credit towards my graduation. And that was really help. That's what helped to solidify. Oh, I like the business strategy, marketing. I sort of like this. I like this sector. This is what I like. I like problem solving using then some, you know, analytics and, you know, the, the sciencey part of my background to sort of figure out what the problem is and try to come up with the solution and then use a creative brain to add some nuance to that solution. And so the yin and the yang have always been a bit of a trademark. And so I always say to people who say, oh, you were a marketer and went to the University of Chicago, which is like the biggest quant school on right. the planet. You know, right. it's like all these econ, of you know, course. Nobel laureates. Yes, and, yes, yes, yes. And, you know, you've got finance guys, investment bankers, they all come from there. Not a lot of renowned marketers right. come out. They all come out of Kellogg right. down the street, of you know, not right. And I would say, yeah, but that was the point. I was, it was early enough for me. I graduated um, from business school in 95. So that was, you know, the internet was created in 93. The first banner ad came out in 94. So it was perfect So I, so I even, it's not like the, the web and digital yeah. marketing was anything. It right. wasn't even. It wasn't anything yet. Right? So, right. so I was there that, that was when I was in business school, but the quantitative background and, and education that I received there Plus, of course, the engineering, I think, very much set me up for being successful in a world of marketing that was so now kind of blooming into this hugely quantitative mm. sphere, where prior to that, it was very soft and creative. There wasn't a lot of measurement that was, you know, it, it was a very different kind of world than it certainly is today. And so that sort of triggered me then, you know, as I move forward, I, I kind of lean back on that and talk about that as a cornerstone of I think how, what made me different is I was a quantitative marketer mm. from the get -go. And which, which served you well in this changing time when marketing it became did. so much more quantitative. A bit serendipitous. Right, the there you go. It all happened. So, <laughs> so it's very interesting that um, you speak with such fondness about business school. It is actually, this is a really funny story uh, for me is that it's on my bucket list to go to business school, even though I founded and have run a growing business for over 10 years, I still feel like I wish I had gone to business school. Yeah. And so I think it's very, um, it's very interesting when I hear people come in and talk about B-School because it's like, 
I think, oh man, I wish I did that. So you recommend it. I absolutely do. Yeah. I, in fact, um, after I leave here, I'm going to meet um, a woman that I'm mentoring and she is in the process of now she's ahead on her bucket list wanting to go back to business school. And so we've been spending time on like making your preparation yep. to go back to business yep. school. And um, I mentor somebody who's actually a student at, at Booth as well. What is what I find fascinating is that especially the women that I've, I've spoken to, it's not only women, I'm sure, but yeah. the women I've spoken to who are going back very much have had success, especially now I'm so amazed in startups. Yeah. Like yourself. They're successful startup people. They've worked for startups. They've yep. had their own. Yep. And they're going back. And I and it is on their bucket list, but I'm I'm finding that when I'm talking to those who have gone and who are in the process of going through classes, they're so inspired and excited. That's what I'm the mean. networking, That's so I the nuances. I mean, look, if your husband can hold down the fort, you should go do That's it. That's it. He you thinks I'm out of my I'm telling you right now, he thinks I'm out of my mind, just so you know. He's like, why explain to me why you need to go to business school? You've run and grown in business. Yes. I was like, it's not for that. It's right. just for my own learning and you inspiration. But you I'm guarantee you'll have a, a positive ROI out of it. I mean, and now it's I need an to go investment to and say that yes. you need to go to booth. Say that's it. I'm gonna go to booth. You have my recommendation. That's it. It's now on it's on record. Amazing. So you've got it. But I I do think you'd have a positive ROI from it because you you take so much from the experience that I know it would change how you think about what you do here. Yeah. It may give you another idea for the next thing or another thing. So you would he would be glad. Yes. Done. Done. Done and done, right? All right. So after business school. So then I um I was looking at companies there. It's your second year is basically a recruiting process. And um I wasn't into nothing wrong with it, but I personally didn't like the CPG marketing. I did, there were classes and I just sort of kind of the opposite. Now I'm going to sound like I'm crazy, but it was so marketing by formula. And again, I'm a formula girl, right? I love, I'm an engineer. It's why I didn't like finance, but I didn't, the feel of it in marketing felt like it was missing uh, for me at that time is 20 plus years ago. Right. But it was missing some of that balance. And so I, I stayed away from it and I decided that where I would personally be more successful with my background, being that I have an engineering background, so I'm not afraid of that kind of conversation right. or interacting with people like that, is that if I worked for a more manufacturing or operations driven company rather know. than a marketing company, I mean, CPG, they're marketing companies. Yep. Um, they're great. Some of the best marketers in the world come out of there. Yep. But I, I, for me, I thought I would have more opportunity to make an impact in a company that was more operation and manufacturing driven because I had that kind of background yep. in me. So that's what I did. And Ford Motor Company was one of the companies Amazing. that gave me an offer. Yep. Loved Ford Motor Company. I Instrumental went Instrumental in the focus launch. Loved I know. The Ford focus launch was, you know, still one of my fondest career memories. I mean, what a launch ever. that was. It was, it was so fun. I, um, so Jack Nasser was the CEO of Ford at yep. the time and he and I still are in touch. In fact, he was, he emailed me not too many like weeks ago, like three or four weeks ago, he was in town. We never, he lives in Australia now, so it's yep. hard to, to catch up, but What's so funny, and that's when you know you're old, right? Because when I was in at Ford, mm-hmm. and I was had I had this job, the Ford Focus launch. They entrusted me with everything. I mean, the company. When you think about the portfolio of, of vehicles, yeah. At the time, we had the Ford Escort. Again, this is what ages people. They're like, what? Um, but there was a Ford Escort, the which Escort. was the entry of level vehicle. Of course, I know the Escort. <laughs> and it was the entry level vehicle for people who were first getting a car, right. but it was also for those people who had retired and wanted to drive one yeah. behind their motor home and that, that kind of thing. Yeah, right. It was great mm-hmm. for that. They were basically discontinuing that. And while they said this wasn't a replacement, I mean, it was basically replacing the entry level. Right. But we had great competition. We had Volkswagen was out there yes. with, um, I think, with the Passat, and um, it was it, it was such a 
Uh, the Jetta, too. That was no, like a, it was Je- a Jetta. Jetta car. It wasn't the, yes, it was the, the competitor of the Jetta. And you know what the ad was that was so big? It was the da, da, da ad. Yeah. Do you remember yes, that? Yes, of course I do. Of <laughs> the course da, I remember da. it. And then one day, like the stinky, they picked like the stinky couch or chair yes. off the side of the road and put it in. And it was smelled. And the Jetta was, was the this, car of the moment. And it was the Jetta. No, yes. you're right. It wasn't the side. It was yes. the Jetta. They were, I mean, everybody who was young and hip and cool aspired to to the Jetta. Yes. And so that was our challenge. Yeah. Was one was we had to compete in that market. Yes. But the challenge that we had that Volkswagen didn't is, I don't know how many thousands of vehicles they were po- poised to sell. Maybe yep. maybe there was. 35, 50,000. Yes. We had to sell 350,000 yes. yes. focus. Yes. Right. So selling 10 times it's of anything is a much bigger yes. deal because, you know, you, you have to appeal to a broad audience, um, your margins, you know, you have to try to keep them intact. Yes. So it's easier to sell a few things at a high price. It's a lot harder, as you know, marketing to sell. So having the Ford Focus launch, we wanted to appeal to that young audience. And what the big pushback internally, and again, Jack, he bought in and he bought in like 100% yeah. on doing this. He, they really wanted to keep it more generic, something that would appeal to all ages, knowing right. that you're going to sell half to young people and half to the retirees, you yeah. know, roughly. I mean, it's probably yeah. 40s, but generally speaking, they're like, well, you can't lean too young because then the, the retirees won't buy in. And I went in with this big push and I said, you're wrong. I said, what you don't understand is that when you talk to people who you consider retirees and they're the, you know, they were the leading edge boomers at the yes. time, you know, they're thinking, they look in the mirror and they don't see they 50, don't think they're 60, old. they see 30, probably, right. just like we do. The same like, way we, we think do. we're early in our careers. I don't know what you're talking about. I love it. I love it. So young. And so that was my point. I was like, you're missing the whole yeah. point of this is that if you, and if you, if you go more middle or you go older, you lose everybody on the younger end for sure, yeah. because they never see themselves there. Of course. So I had this whole convincing, I had this road show, I had to go, this is the time. So remember this is, um, we launched it in 99. I, yeah. We launched actually on 9999, which is an easy thing to remember on the MTV VMAs. We did live commercials, but amazing. I did this road show to go talk to dealers and teach them. I had like we would hold these little um, training sessions, which I know doesn't sound unusual, but what I did is I brought in young people and this was the grunge era, right? So this was like the black yes, leather, the gothy yes, look, yes, right? Yes, yeah. And there was the bikers, bladers, borders. Yes. So, so, and so they bring their stuff in with their, and these salespeople were petrified. Yep. Like, and no way in, you know, hell am I going to sell one, a car to one of those kind of people coming yep. in my, cause they'll never afford it. They're crazy looking. They're afraid of them. And our point was, you got to see these people and get to know them here. So we did these training sessions where they would interact with the salespeople so they could a figure out that they're probably a lot smarter. They have this thing called the internet now, right? That they probably know more about the car than you do. Right. Um, and they're, they're very much, um, worthy of financing. So you can absolutely they call yes. it, get him done. Yes. To get him in a car. Yes, yes, yes. And so it was a lot of extra effort. Not you just internally education. Itself, there had to the be dealers. a layer of education. There's a whole so the timing of it, because it was sort of in the entry of this digital era, was Perfect. trying to bridge, you know, the old and yeah. the new in terms of methods and ways. Ooh. And so my auto days were that whole bridging. So basically from when I started working at Ford in uh a 95. And when I left, I went to Chrysler in 01. Yeah. And then I left Chrysler in 06. So I had, you know, 10, 11 years of solid oh, auto in that bridge of the emergence of digital, yeah. if you will. And so the Ford Focus, I think we spent 10% of our budget, and this was in 99, on digital. Which is huge. Which is huge. huge. Because it wasn't huge until risk. like five, seven years ago oh, that yeah. you heard of, especially auto, which are much For more sure. reliant on, on television. I For mean, sure. not anymore, but it, it wasn't. It, that was a lot, even yes. five, seven, Huge ten years deal. ago. I mean, so think about that. It was a, 
so that was a proud moment and we did well. Um, we sold 50% to people under 35 Amazing. and 20, so half of that to people under 25. So what we an exciting time, we did great things. We did Ooh. all kinds of unique stuff, but there's a, there's a bunch of stories on there, but that was, that was fun. And that definitely gave me personal attention. I certainly was, you know, I at age and yes, you know, it was, I so think it gave I was, you recognition. I was 29 when we launched it. So I was a, I was wow. a baby in, in all respects. Um, and it was like the 30 under 30. All and, of these things. Yeah. All, so the sky's the limit. So there. it was, so you, you feel pretty good about yes. yourself, right? And um, you went to Chrysler. I went to, I was recruited to Chrysler. So in 2000, Daimler, Mercedes, yep. Daimler yep. bought Chrysler and um, they, they pulled a guy who was my mentor, is my mentor. He's a, he's a great guy. His name's Jim Schreier, um, who had been running global marketing at Ford. They yep. were basically pulled him over to be yeah, the titles, right? But EVP of marketing, sales, and service, or something, right? Yeah. At the Daimler Chrysler for the Chrysler Jeep and brand Dodge brands, and so he, about six months later, it was June of '01, recruited me to come over, as well as another um, compatriot of ours, Jeff Bell, who's a friend, and the two of us came over. Uh, he then brought another one or two per people over, another one of my best friends, Anne Pandozi, and um, I'm on her board. And it's a, oh, the, awesome. what happens is like these people where you kind of break these boundaries yep. with, you end up staying very tight with. Yep. Think about the number of people you meet in your career. You bet. I mentioned their names because we're still very good friends. But um, so we went over and they were bleeding money. That's why Daimler picked yep. them up, right? There was a lot of opportunity they yep. saw, bleeding money. And they, I remember Jim asking me, and by the way, by this time I was pregnant with my second child. Oh my goodness. When I started. Um, so asked me if I would um, take on the Dodge brand. And the Dodge tagline when I got there was Dodge Different. And it was Edward Herman, the actor. Yep. Did you ever see the movie The Lost Boys? Yeah, of course. And there was, I think there was another TV show. It wasn't the Gilmore Girls, that's not know, but it was some sort of girls, I can't remember, TV show. But anyway, in The Lost Boys, he was like the head vampire, like yeah, the, yeah, like the yeah. dad. Yeah, yeah. The one who was dating yes. the, Mom, yes, whatever. yes, so yes. He, was he was the bad, the bad old one. The big yeah, bad yeah, one. Yeah, right, yeah. Yeah. At the end, he revealed. At the very end, right? Yes. yes, you know, he's the vampire. I love that. You of know course, I do. Do Lost Boys people? Half our listeners won't know Lost Boys. So they need to big right now. You need to go on Netflix and stream Lost Boys as soon as this interview is over. As soon as this is done, that's it. It's a cult classic. That's it. This is why, by the way, I make my children watch all these films. They have to I watch talk a classic about because I can't. Yeah, I can't have conversations and totally. have them not know what I'm talking How can about they not know and the making cultural me feel references. Bad. Of course, so is a big deal. Of course. So, anyway, so Edward Herman was a spokesperson for Dodge, and okay. I got there, and he would wear these three-piece suits, and he'd be on these white limbo stages with these red vehicles, and he'd do a walk around, and it was Dodge different, and it was like, what is that? So, like, you know what I mean? What is? Yeah, there, so that is, there, 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 it's yeah. just what black. Is it? Just words. So went in, and I was like, okay, it was June. We needed to relaunch the brand and launch the launch the Dodge Ram, the new version of the Dodge Ram again in September. And the Ram was, you know, probably a good 50% of the volume mm -hmm. of what we sold, or mm -hmm. you know, not maybe outside of the minivan, but okay. it was maybe 30% of the volume we sold. And in terms of its revenue impact, not just for the Dodge brand, but all three brands, was ginormous. I mean, okay. it was probably 20% of okay. that. I mean, it was a very big revenue, big impact. Yep. So it's June. Typically, when you're launching vehicles, especially in the old days when it was very TV centric and you're producing TV ads and yep. things, you know, you've got a lot in the can by June or July, yeah. right? Yeah. Because yeah. you got to start. You know, your media is bought. You got to start yeah. to go. So there was no time, and I got to get there. And this is at an era where nobody switched between the auto companies, especially right. in Detroit. Right. You were a loyalist. You were born in Detroit. You yep. were raised in Detroit, yep. and you were either raised under the GM symbol or yep. the Ford yep. oval or the yeah. 
So there was no mixing. And so the fact that, you know, Jim came over and he pulled a couple of us. So we're in this like soup and the Ford people hate us because we're abandoned. Right, right. The Chrysler like, oh, they're wary they're of those you. people. Yep, 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 yep. We I love this. It's this whole, like this weird dynamic. Okay. And, and then they're the bleeding Germ- money. And the Germans have just bought them. And so right. they're already it's feeling like. Anxious. Like, who are these people coming yes. in to tell, right? We were, yeah, Coco was here. Yes. How are you people? Yeah, you know, who are you? It's right. Just, it's just this cult, this like Detroit culture right. soap opera. Yes, totally. Unfolding, right? Totally. And so um, you know, we get, and I, so my idea was, look, let's, I want the people here to know I'm not about to come in and just tell them what it should be. Because I don't know what it right. should be. But I know what questions to ask, right. and I want them to be part of the solution. So that yeah. was my big thing. So yeah. I spent a ton of time with the team that I was given, including the agencies, saying, okay, let's peel back the onion. Where did this Dodge different come from? Or I, help me, how did the yeah. Dodge brand start? Yeah. You know, and then you hear the stories of the Dodge brothers, and the Dodge, they were literally brothers. Yeah. They were these huge, you know, macho guys, and, you know, they were, they were all about the testosterone, and that started the Dodge, the initial Dodge Charger, and they raced the cars and the big engines, and they had the Hemi engine that, you know, it was this whole thing. And somewhere along the way, that got damped down and the dust piled up and it became Dodge different. A guy in a three-piece suit and the red limb. And right. the cars were the Intrepid and the Neon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And oh, the, the Dodge Neon. <laughs> right? <laughs> and, you know, you had the, the Strata. You had these right. cars right. that were so milk toast. There was yes, just nothing, yes, 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 yes. nothing, nothing Dodge about them, really. Right. right. There was nothing different. You couldn't paint, Dodge different. No, you couldn't paint them. Right. They were right. like, they let's just paint them red. Generic. And then, because yeah, yeah, yeah. red is our color. No, that's not enough, right? So we, we created, we, we unfolded it basically, and we created this new persona, right? These archetypes. We, yeah. we went back and we dusted them off. And honestly, within the agency, a lot of those people had worked on the brand their entire careers. I mean, this, this, this was, at the time, it was BBDO. They had been at the agency. I mean, they had been on the team for, for Chrysler forever. Yeah. And um, the people there were lifers, of course. So yeah. they all had this huge history. And so when you were able to peel it back and let them know it was safe to have right. Safe to think differently and, and say yeah, yeah. what you thought because this is our ch- like I'm telling you this is our chance. What do you want to do? Like yep. I've got a blank. And you could have right gone now. in and kind of wiped the agency. You know, you could have done totally. a whole new approach. But I love that you empowered the agency. No, to really I, think the agency was ah. Oh, they're still some of my best friends. That was the oh, best agency experience of my amazing. whole life. And love I love that. It really was. And I've that. had several. And I always like agency people because yes. they try yes. hard. Yeah. But the thing about BBDO is BBDO Detroit. There were 2,000 people at the time. It was a lot. 2,000 people at the time in Detroit for BBDO serving 100% wow. and only Chrysler Jeep and Dodge. Wow. So they were dedicated. Dedica- they weren't, you know, conflicted between all their accounts. Amazing. Their whole lives and paycheck were equally Everything. as tied to the brand as ours Amazing. were. So we're, we're basically in these rooms. We're trying to peel back the onion. What's the brand? It's this heart of this, like, macho type of, of, of um, aura. It's like we need a tagline. We got to launch these brands. We have no time. So the agency came to me. I remember sitting in this big conference room. I'm like, give me this tagline that we can build around this. Because it's, you know, we, we had the feel for it, but you needed some sort of simple phrase, especially in that era that you could get everybody's mind yes, around yep. quick, quickly. Yep. And so they were flipping these like cards, you know, in front of me with these, you know, one after the other. And it was like, just have reaction. Just do your instincts reaction. Okay. Boom. Grab life by the horns came up. And I was like, done. That's it. Because the brand was all about spontaneous. You had to have it work in a minivan. You had to have it work on a Viper. It had yep. to work in a truck. So yep. you had to grab life by the horns was the idea of the emotion and energy of grabbing. It. But by the horns, every one of our vehicles had the Dodge logo, which is like this um, yeah. the the, symbol with the horn, the, the horn. ram's head yeah. with the horns that were like, yeah. I was like, no one's going to say grab life by the horns when right. the horns are literally on every one of our cars. Right. So it's we can own that. You know, so... 
I walked into, I, I was like, I took the card from the guy's hand and I walked, I know that the executives were in this big meeting. Oh, it's like inside the Chrysler headquarters. And you're giant and pregnant. It's, I'm giant. It's a mile. It is the second largest no. singly roofed no. building in the world next to the Pentagon is the Chrysler headquarters. Oh and I was like, kid you not. So we're in the tower over here. They're in the design center. Literally, it's a mile under the roof. I am like, thank God I'm, you know, 30 years old. Chugging my body, yep. my big old yep. body down. Yep. Like, <laughs> you're basically rolling down. Yeah. Here I, I am. There, I can't breathe. Yep. Of course. You know, I pulled Jim I up. I pictured this the, whole he's thing. He's sitting next to Dieter Zetcha. Who, you and know, did you go? See you. And I was like, I'm wiggling my finger, like coming with me. Like, and we stood behind the stage. It was like behind the yeah. curve off on the side. I said, look, here's the deal. We've got, you know, I'm like out of breath. I'm like, here's the deal. We've got to have a tagline. We've been working through it. I love this. I'm going to flip this in front of you. You're going to say yes, or you're going to say no. And if you say no, we're sticking with different because I don't have time to fix yep. that. And we're going to have to wait till later. Yep. If you like it, this is, we're going with it. I yep. flipped it. He read it. He rips it from my hand. Love he walks that. back just out knew. to the front row. He sits next to Dieter and Wolfgang on the other side. Yep. And the two of them sit there. They, they He shows the two of them. They nod and smile. He hands it to me. He's like, done, go. Go. How many times in corporate America does that work? Very right? I mean, so rare. these were very special wow. moments. And so we launched, we launched, we launched Rare Life by the Horns. I got Aerosmith, the first time Aerosmith had ever done Any a, kind of sponsorship. a corporate thing, yeah. right? They came to this giant building, which is like five stories. There's these, these big circular, like yeah. in a mall where you yeah. look down yeah. into the yeah. center yeah. and then you can yeah. see everybody standing yeah. on the, the waving rings as they yeah. roll up. As you, and there's, so everybody's looking down, we had a truck down there. We had the whole band of Aerosmith there. So we had all the employees being a part of this and the, the band is spray painting this truck. We auctioned off the truck for charity. But the whole employee base got so into it. And the work we did, not only with like the salespeople and the dealers and of course finance, but we worked with the designers and we said, look, here's what the brand means. And it wasn't just the tagline. We had this whole persona yeah. chart um, based on like sports and fashion and this whole thing. Yep. We gave it to them and they took it and ran with it. And it is, it is from that that we got the Dodge Magnum, the Dodge Charger, the Challenger. Those are the vehicles that they created, which very much feel like they're part of this high testosterone, you know, power driven, you know, brand. And so um, it it was really wonderful to be a part of something where, yeah, the marketing was fun and it was great and it was at a special time. But what it did for the company in terms of, I think, changing the way people felt about the brand. It's yeah. like, remember the 100,000 people are working for this company, how they feel about the brand, how it inspired the designers to think differently about how to express the brand. That's when you you know you've done something special and just to be a part of it. Again, I can't take credit for all of that. I but mean, we were there at the spark. You birthed so. the baby and you birthed the new brand. We did. Done. We did. You were like, here you we go, did. baby, new brand, done. done. Okay, done. I'm tired. All right, so. where'd you go from there? Yeah, well then from there, so that I so I so after the Dodge launch, yep. they said, look, and we did the Hemi engine and yep. that helped to turn the fortunes of the company around. That yep. really was a huge Amazing. revenue driver, still is a great um, driver for them today. They asked me to take on the Chrysler and Jeep brands as well. Yep. And so I managed all three of those from a marketing and communications perspective. I got to the end of like five years there. So now I've been in auto for 11, 12 years, and I was I was at the really the, the top job that I could have in marketing. They didn't have a CMO title yep. when I was there. Yep. But that was basically the role I had. And I was like, you know, I don't know where else to go from here. Yeah. Like you go and you can run a region and that sort of sales. And I'm, yeah, but I don't, I like, I like what I'm doing. And so I felt like, how can I be 35 years old and done? Right. And so you were at the top of where you could would be go here, for this here, right. For this organization. Yes. So in terms of what was interesting for yes, me, of right. Course. I was like, okay, let's look about. So I looked about, I ended up with a couple of offers and I, 
took the one with Walmart because I was like, wow, the world's biggest brand, the marketing at the time, eh, you know, so it's like, and if you could just make a little bit of a move, a yeah. little move with a company with that kind of footprint, you make a giant impact, yeah. you know? So, um, you know, my, I, I got a lot of <laughs> warnings from people about culturally yes. for me, yeah. knowing who I was and yeah. the culture fit down there and you got to move your family down there to Bentonville, and Arkansas. To Bentonville. And um, I was like, but no, you know, and I, I know that the culture fit, but part of the sell was, you know, hey, we need to do something different here. We know that what you're talking about is different. And you saw an different. opportunity, which is a huge brand. I just, just if yeah. any form of like a little push in their marketing could yeah. do Huge well, it thing. was, and it was, and it was retail and, you know, auto is retail of another yes. color as yes. well. So I was like, I just, it sounded exciting. It felt right. And I, I don't mind moving. I've moved all over the country. This yep. I live in Connecticut now. It's my 12th state yep. in some, you know, 20 something city. So yep. that didn't frighten me so you. much. Um, my husband was game. The, the kids were young enough, right. you know, so we did it. And, you know, 10 months later it was over in a prolific, you know, sort of um, fire burning. Yeah public, yeah. you know, way. Um, the, I, I will tell you the, the, the lesson that I give because yes. everybody can read the sorted stories of it. Yeah. There's a saying, it's what goes around our company, but culture eats strategy for lunch. Um, there's no doubt uh, you could be, uh, so I'm not this person, but I could be the Michael Jordan of marketing. I right. could be like phenomenal at what it, none of that matters if you don't have a good culture fit because nobody does anything alone. You don't. Um, and so I, I'm not Michael Jordan. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm good at what I do, but I'm not Michael Jordan. And so you go in as a good marketer, but if your culture, the way that I do things, the, the, you know, my personal energy, yep. my speed, my whatever, all the things that make up my personal culture are not just not a fit, but maybe an oil and water situation yeah. with the culture of a company that has been around a long time and has um, done pretty well. I mean, they're 400, you know, million dollars in revenue. I mean, look, I think there was some point if they had been a country, they had like the eighth oh, largest yeah, yeah, yeah. GDP yes, in the, yes, yes. if they were a country, th th nothing's really broken. So what is it that I think that I'm gonna go do and fix? And I, I get that there was a lot of interest in maybe remaking, but you know, it also was in a time, remember it was 06 when I went and we were on the cusp of a huge recession. Oh, yeah. And so it wasn't probably a good time to try to make a change when it was probably better in, in that case to dig in. So anyway, I look I look back at it without <laughs> I try not to be bitter or angry yep, because yep. there was a lot of obviously it was it was personal attacks. But stepping aside, um, I learned a great deal about myself about retail. Um, I, I might the choices that I make now are different. The focus that I have on committing time to my family is primary versus work. Cause I would work 80 hours a week, yeah. not even think about it. So right? it caused a little bit of a reset for a you. Total reset, total reset. Do you think that you knew something? I always talk about this. Uh, it's funny. I had, um, I had a starter marriage when I was 24 and I was divorced <laughs> by 26. Okay. Then I got remarried and stayed married for mm -hmm. a very long time. And I always think about, did I know before going in mm -hmm. and just miss any warning signs? Do you think that before you went in there, you knew and you missed it? You just yes. either ignored it? You think no you doubt. Were, yeah. No doubt. And I had everybody around me who knew me, people I should have trusted instinctively were like, mm, it's not going to be for you. I, it's just, again, not that it's not for everybody. I'm not saying this to demean there's wonderful no. people there. No, no, it's no, of course. Great. 
But for me, it was a bad choice for me. And yeah. I, I think that they shouldn't have chosen me. Right, I, it was just the wrong we were, match. We just should have done match. it. We should have done it. My first marriage. We should have. <laughs> like, lovely person. I, just shouldn't have done we it. We both lost in this, should I think. Have done you know? it. Yeah. We, just, we shouldn't have done it to each other. Um, and, unbelievable. But I think the good thing is, is if you can step up from that, if you can. And look, I, it was, I was down. Yeah. I, was I mean, down. how did you so, deal with the public? negativity like it, it was everywhere and you're this huge success that's done these amazing I've, things I've 10 months and suddenly I'm like here yeah. I spent 10 11 years building here, this incredible career and right. then it's like you're I mean and the things how that do, people would say how do you bounce back from that? the people it was all it was crazy you know you just you went in and people they were like my god I was like I think maybe I I internalized stress, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. So it was so, like really this life changing oh, event it was for you. Super, oh my gosh! And I and look, I I try not to dwell because there's right, no of point, course, but, of course. But but I mean, just in general, I mean, the impact I had on my family, oh, I, certainly my parents. You know, my course. mom sitting here today, but my my husband, my kids were young enough. But even still, and I was I was talking to one of your your teammates outside yes. before we came in. Yeah. I said, you know, one of the nicest things and the most you know, I guess heartwarming things I'd heard was I was. Two days ago, I had my son and my youngest, my 15-year-old, he's a yeah. freshman now, and he yeah. was, so he was young when we were living there, because it's been over 10 years. Yes. It's hard to believe of it's course. been over 10 years <laughs> since I was there. Um, we were driving, and he said, Mom, you know, he wasn't a big fan of Arkansas either, yeah. um, but he, he said, you know, if you hadn't have taken that job, Mom, if we hadn't have lived there, we wouldn't live here, and I really like it here. Aww. And I was like, you know what? That is the way to look at Thank you, Luke, for saying that, because that is the way to look at the yes. world. You... You can have, I, he, he said, you know, I know it was a bad time for you. I said, it was, but you know, I, I said, that's why when we talk about kids and bullying and suicide, I said, that's why I, I'm so glad you have that attitude because if you can remember like how ugly and awful things were for so long and maybe not for you, but you saw it happening to me that today we can be so happy and so grateful mm. for where we are and what we have and, and the people we know. And it, I said, if you can see how maybe this wouldn't have come true if we hadn't gone through that. So that's why even when things are really, really bad, you have to realize that probably there's a reason why, because if you can get through it and see what the meaning is, of you, course. Can, you can be better. And so for me, it forced me, the thing that it forced me to do is I, I, I'm so shell-shocked. Like I'm, you know, yeah. litigating with the world's largest company yeah. and it's in the press every day. It was like Ugh. an explosion Ugh. of the, like, and I was Ugh. like, my God, I'm just a mark. I was just, it was so surreal. Um, and I, I was just, I just couldn't, I couldn't go back into the corporate system. I remember talking to Dell and there were a few companies who were, I was talking with who had positions and I just backed away from the whole thing. I just, I just, you I went out on your own, right? For and a little I, bit? I had a call from, he's a good friend of mine, Mark Ford. He's got some giant title over at Time Inc. He's still yeah. there. But it, it, he called and he was like, hey, Julie, you gave that speech, you know, about the way that we buy and sell media and how it's so antiquated and we should base it on the, pro, you know, the, yeah. the NASDAQ principles. He's like, you, know, you talked about that for the TV buying media. Do you think you could do that inside of Sports Illustrated? Because he was running the men's publications oh. at the time. And I was like. Sure. He's like, okay, yes, I'd I like can. to talk to you about that. Can I fly you and your husband to the Super Bowl in Miami to talk through it? I was oh like, I was like, yeah. burst into tears. Like, oh, you know, right. you needed that boost. Who, you like, needed to feel. Somebody likes me. Yes. I have no budget. Yes. I have no power. Yep. I'm like vilified everywhere yep. you go. And yep. he was like, I don't care. But he liked you just for you yep. because he you, was like, and you. he was my first real consulting gig. And I was like, okay, scared to death because I know that I know what I know. Right. But I'm not sure that I could do it without the help of a ton of people or a ton of money. Right. And it turns out I was actually 
pretty good at it. In fact, better than maybe I was even in the of corporate world. Of course you were. You know? so, of but not course. Every, it was a frightening time. I but know. I'm I sure. did it for five years. And I did. And you had control over your time, right? When you consult. Time. That's the thing. It's like you all of a sudden, you're like, how old were the kids then? The kids were young then. Yeah. So let's see. When I took, so I um, it was 06. So it was 07, at the end of 06. So like December of 06, I started. So 07. So my kids were born in 98. And uh, so I, they were 9 yeah. and 01. 9 and 6 and 9. So they were six and nine when I did it. Um, yeah, so I started in 2007 and I get, started to get phone calls. So like, you know, being on the front page of newspapers around the world yeah. is awful, but yeah. you get a lot of phone calls. Well, that's true. You get a lot that's of phone calls. That's true. So I had a lot of phone calls and one of them was Bill McDermott, okay. who is now the global CEO of SAP. Correct. And he, at the time, I think was head of the Americas for SAP. And he had read about me and said, would you come out to Philadelphia and meet with me? I'd like to talk with you. I'm like, okay. I've heard of SAP. I see the billboards in the airport, but I'm not, I mean, and I, I get that you're software, but I'm not really sure what it means. And I, like, you, it you're really not sure, right? Generic. You're like, okay, I didn't, I didn't you're just feel, calling me from SAP. It's and, not a consumer, right? Like, you have I have no, no idea. Feel. It's a little confusing. It was weird, right? Yeah, yeah. And so this is 07. I had literally just started consulting. So wow. we, we, I flew out there, we had a conversation and um, I talk about it as like the five-year conversation that we had on and off. And I was so once bitten, twice shy not wanting to go into something that didn't tough. feel yeah. right. Culture had to be perfect. Yeah, and I didn't want him also to take a bet on something and have him be second guess without yep. really, you know, you want to yep. be successful for everybody. Yep. So we had a five-year conversation while I continued my consulting and I did a ton of B2B and a ton of B2C, like probably 60 different companies I worked for, tons of startups, loved, got into the startups, started to speak, you know, go out and do public speaking. I was on, I'm on the board of ad tech and, you know, yep. these are, you really got into the heart of it. And so it became a real gift for me to be able to build my network, to see all these different industries where I'd been in like two, right? you know, and now I dabbled in a right. whole bunch. Gives you a variety. I was able to give my time to some startups where I didn't have to be paid because I was able to consult over here. Yeah. It was, it was incredible. It was incredible. And incredible. finally, five years later, it was October, no, it was September of 2011. I was flying back from a consulting gig in California and I was reading the USA Today. I always say, I read the people's paper because this is what people are thinking. Yes, <laughs> I read the Wall Street Journal and things, but. But you read so, the USA Today. I read the USA Today. So I was reading the money section and yep. Bill McDermott had just been made global CEO. So he wasn't wow. the president's anymore, just of the Americans. Yep. He was now the big, the biggest dog yep. in the show. Yep. And, um, he was being interviewed and I was like, Oh, this is great. You know? So I read it and I emailed him right away. And I was like, Hey Bill, I just you know read your interview on the money section. I said, but can I tell you that I was a little disappointed because I've been talking to you for five years and I know a lot more about what SAP does than I did then. But I, I was kind of hoping that you were going to give the ABC version to the USA today. Yep. And you left me hanging because when she asked you, what is it that SAP does, Bill? You said, well, we're behind your favorite brands like iTunes and Sony and yep. Disney and Nike. And I said, yep. Bill, I still don't know why as a visitor to Disney parks or wear yeah. Nike shoes or user of iTunes that my product experience or service is better because you're behind the scenes. I think you need to be the Intel inside and tell the story of the customer's customer since you're B2B. Amazing. I think that's your, I think that's how you're going to differentiate yourself and Amazing. open up the customer base and not just the CTO and CIO, but everybody, everybody. to buy software. Yeah. And he emailed me back, I kid you not, in 30 seconds saying, Julie, will you be my chief storyteller? Oh. And I thought he was kidding because he oh. was talking for five years, this right? the best story and ever. So we, he's like, seriously, I said, I'm on a plane. He's like, well, let's get on a call. Can you talk in an hour? Yes. So we got on the call and he's like, we've been dancing around this forever. Will you at least just start consulting for me? 
So I started consulting October 1st of 2011. And by Halloween of 2011, I had an offer to be SVP of marketing and the chief storyteller. And Amazing. I started full-time January 1st. Amazing. And I'm here now. I'm his head of strategic relationships. So I do kind of top to top. So global CEOs around the world on thought leadership uh, premises is where we create content and we get them in a room and we talk about this high level content having nothing to do with SAP. But the fact that we can get the CEOs in a room and you get this content brought to them from some of the world's most amazing minds and talking about topics of interest being it, it can be internet of things, but the workforce of the future, the networked economy, geopolitical instability and what it means to be running a giant conglomerate. And, and so they can talk off the record. We, you know, we get some of these great thinkers is it's changing the perception of the company and the visionary ideas that Bill has. And it, it gives them a lot more confidence when they think about buying software from us down the road. But it really is much more about building that network um, from a top to top and changing perceptions there. So that's what I do now. So you ended up basically getting it all. You found a place with the culture that you wanted, <laughs> yeah, having good. the variety of all of it, yeah. reporting to the global CEO. Yeah. Like this, what an amazing experience and what an amazing ride. Yeah, it's been, it's been fun. I mean, <laughs> it's been fun, yeah, right? it's, been it's, fun. A, it's a it's great good. story. All right. Now, because you're on all the social ladies, yes. I have to ask you. You are a very successful, very high-powered woman. Telling a T-shirt, I'm reflecting to you. Too you just to told me your stories. Things. Yes, you're just a teen, <laughs> but you are in fact incredibly successful, incredibly high-powered, and with incredible story to tell. Tell me, do you use social media personally? And if so, how do you use it? So it's it's awful, right? And part of I will tell you, I do use it, but I'm I'm a light to moderate user yeah. of it. Some of the reason I use it is to just make sure my kids are not putting stupid things out there that they'll regret later. Yes. Um, part of it is like on Facebook, it truly is a catching up with friends from yes. long ago, high yes. school. And I don't post everything, but it's a check in every once in a while. Their kids are going to college. You share a family photo. Somebody's parent is sick, whatever. Those are, I, I use it a lot for that kind of thing. Um, I use Twitter so little. In fact, somebody just was, um, somebody just wrote me and was like, for chief storyteller, you don't tell a lot of story. I'm like, I just don't put them on Twitter. Well, so, it's funny. It's funny. I, just, I was going to ask you if you have a greater um, sympathy or sensitivity to people who are attacked mm -hmm. on because because you this happened to you um, a Prior little bit earlier than this Thank level. Of, so, yeah. Oh my God. And so you must, when you right. see like a business person right. fall or something, you know, happen that you must have a tremendous amount of sensitivity towards that in the Huge, social space. Hugely so. And I think I'm also, so a couple things. One, um, definitely more sensitive. It's one of the reasons why I don't jump all in a hundred percent to social media. Yeah. Part of it is what we live our lives. So looking at a screen and, um, I, I think it's just the mother in me. I look at my kids and I try to get them off because the world out there, the reason even my job, when yeah. we get people in a room without the devices and things, yes. the way that the, the world moves forward is not through texts and emails. Yes. I, I understand that it's, it helps to augment, but it is through the personal relationships and the trust that's built when you're sitting in front yes. of somebody. Yes. And there's no possible way to, to do all that and be part of every social platform. And so I don't, I don't necessarily see the value in that. And I try to really limit it. There's a value, but it's, it's not, it's, it's not pervasive. It's not across the board. The other is I become very sensitive from my own experience yes. to supporting 
and staying away from the piling on effect. I mean, oh. I couldn't stand to look at any of the political stuff. I don't yes. care what side you, you I don't, you can't look at it. No benefit. They, there's nobody no feels better. To nobody feels better. People right. together, which is right. really what we need right. to do. Right. And so even if you're disappointed or elated, if you keep on hashing, you can't, you can't get over and yeah. move forward and get yeah. together. And we have to desperately do that. And women and, and our, need the most of it. I mean, yeah. I think women are more sensitive. I think that they're, they have the hardest time telling their own story. They're very good tellers of stories of others, you bet. but terrible tellers you bet. of their own story. You bet. And we have to support one another. And it was, it was my big learning because I was amazed at the number of people in my industry and neither other women who couldn't wait to just jump on an attack. Me. Yeah. Without knowing. Yep. It's just, we, we feel like you get a nugget of information and that's the whole thing. And it's just, it isn't fair. So I, I all, I do my best to tell my kids and to grain of salt. It's not the whole picture. Yeah. You have, it's one piece. You know, it's interesting. You said that about the election after the election. I just remember thinking like, wow, you know, social media can really be used for a lot of horrible things. Like I was right. in a space where I was like, Oh, this is miserable. Like looking at this. And then what I had to do to reframe for myself as the leader of a social media agency is that you, as powerful as it is with the negative voice, mm -hmm. it can be that powerful for a positive voice. Mm -hmm. And so you know, really just committing myself to help to spread positive messages of women and empowerment. Right. And, this, and that's, that's kind of like what the podcast and all of this is about, right? It's about sharing stories of brilliant women of which you are most oh, certainly so one. Sweet, thank you. I think you're so, brilliant. Thank you. Created, I try. So. I try. No, it's great. Uh, but you know, we're so young. We're, we just so started. We're so early in our career. We're just scratching the surface. Okay. So if people want to connect with you, yeah. where should they go? LinkedIn? <laughs> Yeah, LinkedIn. I'm LinkedIn. on LinkedIn. Yeah. Well, I don't check it as much as I should. If they it, literally they can email me. Yeah. I mean, do it. Old school. Yeah. I mean, so my personally, not my work yeah. email, yeah. but my personal email is my last name is Rame.Julie at Gmail. Perfect. I mean, it's old school, but at least I can write you back personally. Yes. On LinkedIn, it's become such it's, like a show. Oh, it's very I hard. I literally was on the train and I'm like, it's like a, I was on, on the advisory boards of a bunch of companies. Yeah. So you get congratulated on every anniversary, which is lovely, but I have like 190 <laughs> thank congratulations on yeah. your anniversary. I'm like, I don't even know what anniversary yeah. it is. Yeah. I like yeah. anymore, but for sure. Well, so, Julie, no. thank you so much for being on the show today. You're a fabulous social lady. Thank you. You've been listening to All the Social Ladies with Carrie Kerfin, CEO of Likeable Media. You can follow Carrie on Twitter, at Carrie Kerfin. To get current social media insights and great tips, sign up for Carrie's weekly newsletter by emailing newsletter at likeable.com. This podcast is brought to you by Likeable Media. Likeable Media produces and distributes content across the social web for mid to large size brands. Visit them at likeable.com.